Coming up on the Rami Lavi podcast, the Rangers just won another game, three to one against a really good team, a really good game, and I actually bet the final score and got it right. Oh my God, what a crazy win! But that's not what you're here to listen to or talk about. Also, the 49ers are up 14 to three at the half against the Seattle Seahawks on Thursday night football. But I have a loaded episode coming up. A really long episode, as you already see. I got Julian Giorte to talk about the winter meetings where he covered the Yankees at the winter meetings. So we talked about all things baseball and free agency there, as the Yankees did make another move and signed Carlos Rodon tonight. I did all my picks for this week in the NFL. But first, we did some Jets therapy with my buddy Rob Taub. All that and a lot more coming up next on the Rami Lavi podcast. Loaded episode. Stay tuned. Hope you enjoy. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One of the things I talk about on this podcast a lot is the stigma against mental health. I think, unfortunately, there has been a stigma, but we're slowly breaking it. And if you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, overwhelmed, or maybe you just want to talk to someone, today's sponsor, BetterHelp, is here to help you. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help. Talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network that may not be available in your area. You just fill out a questionnaire to help access your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in another 48 hours. Plus, you can exchange unlimited text messages, and everything you share is completely confidential. So I talk about on this podcast how your mindset towards things changes everything. One of the things that I learned in therapy was that join the 2 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash Rami. That's my first name. That's betterhelp, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash R-A-M-I, my first name, Rami. If you use that link, the link is in the description in the podcast notes. If you use that link, you'll get 10% off and it'll also help me out. So please do that. I'm telling you it's worth it. Do it today. Welcome back to the Rami La Vie podcast, episode 121 of the Rami La Vie podcast. Loaded, loaded episode today. And thank you all for listening. Thank you, everyone who shares it. Uh, like I always say, it is greatly appreciated. Right now, it's Thursday night. I'm watching the Rangers game, some Thursday night football. But on this episode, we talked about last week's Jets game, some Jets therapy. I was joined by my buddy Rob Taub to talk about all things Jets, obviously the last two games in particular were games that they were right there, had opportunities to win the game against Minnesota and the game in Buffalo. But now with four games remaining, all the moral victories, all the positives, Mike White, all those different things that you could take out of those games, throw them out the window. You got to win four games, at least three of the four games and it starts on Sunday at home against the Detroit Lions. We talked about all of it. We did some Jets therapy to talk about the Jets. We broke down the last few weeks. We previewed what the next few weeks might look like for the Jets. We talked about maybe Zach Wilson will get into a game as he's now been elevated to QB2 and Mike White with an uncertain health situation. You know, the Jets are one hit away from Zach Wilson getting in a game at this point. So we could potentially see that. Lots of other stuff to talk about. 
Um, that's all coming up. Afterwards, I'm going to pick Sunday's games. We also have Saturday games in the NFL this week, so loaded week in the NFL as far as games. Um, and then after I pick Saturday and Sunday's games, I want to talk some baseball. Uh, the Yankees made a big move tonight. They signed Carlos Rodon. Uh, a lot of people speculated they were going to sign Carlos Rodon. Six years, $27 million a year. That rotation looks really good now with Cole, Rodon. You have Nestor Cortez, Luis Severino, if he could stay healthy. And hopefully Frankie Montas can bounce back from his slow start to his Yankee career. And as a number five starter, you can't even ask for too much from him. But to think that a guy who they traded for at the deadline as a number two starter has now moved down into a number five starter role. This team should be really good, at least on the pitching side. Of course, the hitting and the batting lineup still leaves uh, much to be desired. And I talked about all of that, including the wild winter meetings for the Yankees and for the league as a whole with my buddy Julian Giorte. He was at the winter meetings in San Diego. He was there for everything as it went down with John Heyman. So he talked about it from his perspective as he covers the Yankees for Major League Baseball. I talked to him about the Yankees and about the winter meetings. That'll be later in the episode. Loaded, loaded episode, but it starts with my conversation with my friend Rob Taub. So I'm going to kick it to that now. Here's Rob Taub. Joining me now on the Rami LaVie podcast, one of the few uh, multiple time guests, Rob Taub. We got to do some Jets therapy. I appreciate you coming on. Appreciate you having me, Rami. All right. So where do we start? I mean, this game was just frustrating and it's, roller coaster yeah and it's not even just this game you go back to the minnesota game and we could take it back like even further than that when we talked before the bills game we talked before the first bills game and we said like they might win the bills game we didn't think they would but we said there's a chance they could win the bills game but we knew that even if they beat the bills we couldn't trust this team until they beat the patriots and they lose twice to the patriots so that's all you need to know about this team you know what i feel because you said we did talk after we talked before the Bills game and we didn't really have much faith. And then they went end up winning that game. Then with the Patriots, and yes, we both said that this team, we will not know this team is real until they beat the Patriots. Problem is that the the games against the Patriots weren't like the same old Jets type of kind of games. It was more that they just it was missed opportunity. Like in the in in the past, like those kind of games, like they would have no shot. This They should have won both games. And I'm not going to say that I'm still not bitter. Of course, I'm still bitter about both losses. But I think they've shown that they could go toe-to-toe with anybody. And that's something I really, really appreciate about. I really appreciate about this Jets team. Like this team right now is they can go toe-to-toe with anybody. Have the losses been brutal? Yes. But they're at that stage, and I take this from, like, other people, like, who I listen to, like, New York Sports Radio. They're at that stage where they're talented enough to win, but they have to learn how to do it first. They are – they're learning. Like, a game like this coming Sunday against the Lions, it's a must-win game. They have to win this Sunday. That's, like, that's one game. I know Detroit is – you know, they're balls of fire right now. They're coming in hot. But the Jets are just, they're just as good, and they their defense can shut down anybody. We saw it. They only allowed – I think Josh Allen only had 130 yards passing, from what I recall, on Sunday. So, for me, this game Sunday, it's like – it's another kind of st- – it's another, like, litmus test as to, all right, this team is we, – we've said it a million times. They're moving in the right direction. The franchise is moving in the right direction. This is a game now you have to win. Forget 
the playoffs for a second. Just win this game because now they've lost three or four, but this is as big a game as they've had in a very, very long time against a very solid and worthy opponent. So that's how I look at it right now. As a like, like going back to the way we were talking about weeks and weeks ago, is they're in that process where they are learning how to win. They have the talent to win, but there's still there's still a lot there's still learning that needs to be done along the way. Yeah, and we'll get to the Detroit game, but you talked about this game that they had opportunities. And that's why it felt like the first Patriots game, right? This past game against Buffalo. I tweeted this out in the first in the second quarter. I was like, this feels like the second Patriots game with all the punts. But then, no, it started to feel like the first Patriots game because you can point to three plays in this game, and I bet you know where I'm going. Three mm-hmm. plays in this game that if those are they, if they go your way, if you make the right play in those game, you win the game. Obviously, the Mosley penalty, right at the end of the first half, the Carter fumble, and those are the two popular ones. And in my opinion, the Flacco fumble. Flacco comes in for one play, and now he's not going to be the backup quarterback anymore because you can trust Zach Wilson to hand off a ball, and we know he's great at throwing balls away. Like that's is probably his best talent is being able to run out of the pocket and throw the ball away. So he comes in and I know Mike White's a dog and all those things. And you love Mike White, but Flacco comes in for one play and kills that entire drive. The Michael Carter fumble, they had the momentum, they get the safety and then they're driving and he fumbles that kills that drive. Those are two drives in a game that you lost by two scores. And those are the two drives that, you know, or you lost by one score, right? They lost by only eight and you had they, lost by, they lost by eight. They yeah, lost by eight. two they, drives killed by fumbles and one drive that would have been dead there. What were they at their own 38 yard line? When, when Mosley jumped offside, they were never going to snap I, that I ball. See, I, I can't remember. I'm trying to recall. I thought they were at the 50. I, for some reason, I thought they were at midfield, but no, then, they were on their own ahead. side of the field they, oh. and, and Mosley jumped. Like you have to know, and you could credit Buffalo and say they put the tight end under center and made it really compelling. It was smart, smart coaching. It was yeah, smart, co- great it coaching. Was smart coaching all around. I know, but you know that they're going to do that. They're go- their whole point is they're going to try to make it look like they're going to snap the ball, but you have to know that there's no po- there's no point for them to snap the ball. Mosley is a veteran, but this is also, this is one of those death by a thousand paper cuts. That Mosley play, and he's a veteran. He should not, he should know. Don't like, don't even move. Just stand there. Because they're gonna try and draw you outside. To me, though, that play I really didn't think like was such a momentum shifter because it was zero zero at that point. Neither team was really moving the ball. Like the Jets' defense was just doing their thing. The Bills' defense was doing their thing. No one was really like no one was bat like blinking yet. So to me, like I find the Carter fumble and the Flacco fumble were way way more important than Mosley. Uh, get than the Mosley play because it was only set, it was only a touchdown like it was seven and they came back the first drive of the second half and scored so that was probably their I feel like that was their best drive of the season they ran they marched down the field at, like yep. with purpose yep but and it's funny because the Carter drive looked the exact same as that drive you're driving down the field running it down Buffalo's throat with Bam Knight and then Carter comes in for one play fumble drive over Michael Carter has caught a lot of flack this week about the fumble. And I understand you can't put the ball on the ground. You cannot do that. It's coming off an injury. So I think a lot of people forget that, that he might be, he might be hurt. He might be playing hurt. And in that type of situation, because it looked like it was going to be a good run. I think he, I think he had like six or seven yards on that play. If I like, uh, if I remember and like, it just, I think it's, it, it took all the wind out of their sails. And those are the kind of plays that just can't happen. Like, you look at all the you look at the close games that they've had this year. All the close games, it's one. It's only been one mistake 
two mistakes, three mistakes. With Buffalo, I think we can agree now that they can play with them. They are they're not at, they're not at that level yet where they're on that they're not on that level yet, but they can definitely play with them. And I love what uh, not to get off that I love what Salah said after the game that they'll see like they might see these guys again. I really want to see that. Even if the even if they end up losing to them in the playoffs, that's a huge step that shows that okay, they're like we know we can play with these guys, and the division is going to be a dogfight for the next five six years, and everything. But as just to get back to it, the Joe Flacco thing, I don't know why a couple guys instead of like just hit, like letting him hand off the ball, like why not let a guy like let Bam Knight or let Michael Carter just take the snap. Don't even like. Don't even give them. Uh, don't even give Flacco like. Don't even make a move because he can't move. He's a statue. yeah. But the thing is, move. you you're gonna have a quarterback on the field. Like if your quarterback is out of the game, you at some point want to have a quarterback. You didn't know how long Mike White was gonna be out at that point, right? No, of course, of course. I'm not saying don't have a quarterback on the field, but I've seen teams do direct snaps to the running back. Yeah. I mean, I know like that's more of a college thing, but in that situation and where the game was at at that point. I wouldn't mind it. See, all right, snap it to the running back, like almost like a, almost like a, like a fake. Like you do, like a, on a, like if you're about to, if you're gonna punt, and you do a fake, just snap it to the guy and let him get a couple yards because you knew White was coming back in the game. I yeah. mean, I think that's one thing that they could. That's one, another kind of thing where a mis- that mistake could have been retracted if maybe they got a little bit more creative than just like, oh, let's let Flacco like let Flacco drop back instead and then he fumbles it and then you know leads to the to buffalo scoring yeah and you mentioned white coming back into the game i don't think you knew mike mike white was coming back into the game you said you knew he was coming back into the game credit to him he earned the respect well, no of he, was on, he was on the bench team. no because he think fumbled he on the second drive he fumbled on the second time flacco had or the second time mike white went out but the fact that mike white came back into that game you love him he earns the respect of the entire team but at some point, you got to put up points. Like, this team has not put up points in two weeks now. And the only time Mike White put up points this week was against the, or this year, I should say, was against the Bears. So, at some point, with all the stuff we love about Mike White, is this offense still extremely limited, even with Mike White at quarterback? I don't think this offense is limited. I think this offense has shown that they can move the ball with Mike White. I think limited is the wrong word. I think they just need to be more opportunistic. And get a little bit more. They just need to be smarter in the red zone. I really, really do. And I'm not forget. I'm not even re, uh, referring to the the fourth and one situation whether the they were going to get. You know what? Either way, if they were going to get the ball back, I wouldn't care which way they went. If they would have tried to score a touchdown, oh, the end or of the Bills the game you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, and but I don't think this offense is limited because we've seen they can they have weapons and these weapons are good. Like they're good weapons and they can do things with the football. Garrett Wilson had another huge game. Elijah Moore got, he got involved. Bam Knight was running. Like he was running like a, like he was running wild. It sucks that they can't score the way we know they possibly can, because it's not like it was a couple of years ago where like after one drive, they were one and done and they weren't going to go like, they were not going to score again. This team, they moved the ball. And I don't think, is the impetus for like why they're having problems. I think you can look at the play calling. I actually didn't have a problem with Michael Flores play calling on, on Sunday. I thought he did a great job trying to protect, like protect white and like maybe from his, like his kind of deficiencies with 
not moving around as much. And the running game was good. Like they called good runs. They called smart plays at the at the right times. I think it's more that when they get down in the red zone, they need to run the football. Forget passing. Run the football. You have two guys, and this is where Michael Carter also comes into the mix, and James Robinson, who I think should play this week against Detroit. But you have two guys who are slashing the defense. Let them keep going. Don't forget passing. This goes back to the Minnesota game. You ran the, you try to, they ran the ball twice when they were down. I think when they were at the goal line, when they were yeah. trying to tie the game. Uh, the first time when they were trying to tie the game, when it was still, uh, when it was 27 uh, in the Minnesota like game. Or 27 22. You're right. 27 22. They're down five. 27. Yeah. You got 27, it. <laughs> yeah. 27 22. You try to run the ball. You got down to the one. And I know they didn't they didn't want to give leave too much time on the clock for Kirk Cousins, even though they had shut him down in the second half. I'm not even gonna think of forget the drive that happened eight minutes before where they marched down the field. That was just Justin Jefferson being an absolute stud. And you know, them getting lucky that Adam Thielen actually caught a pass. But because they shut him down all day too, yep. most yep. most of it. But in that moment, I know like trust your defense. This defense is as good as we know it is. Trust them, run the football. Ground and pound, just like Rex used to do when they got in the red zone, they did not let Mark Sanchez pass. They used to run it down the opposition's throat. They need to do that more often. And that's why one of those things, if we're going to see them score points this week, that's got to be it because Detroit's defense is a sip and they are not as good as, let's say, a Minnesota. Well, Minnesota's is terrible. Uh, some of the defense at the yeah. Jets, have, yeah, Buffalo's, they're not even on the same planet as Buffalo's defense. Detroit's defense is vulnerable. We've seen it, but they have to run the ball. I think that's where the points are going to come from. Not saying you can't, not saying don't take the ball out of Mike White's hands, but in the moment when you're down inside, when you're inside the 10, the 15 or the 20, and you have guys who can run and keep going. And we saw that like, cause Bam was having a great game. He was taking guys with them. And you have a guy like James Robinson, like I mentioned before, run the football. Like that's to me, that's what is keeping them from being more successful and and score more points is they do not trust the running game where they need to trust the running game the most in the yeah. red zone. Yeah. And you said you, you run the football because you trust this defense and think about it before Quinn and Williams was out. And I think Quinn and Williams is the key to this defense before he was out. They did nothing. Buffalo couldn't do anything. Even once he's out though, you talked about how maybe it was deflating for the team when Michael Carter fumbled. The Jets' defense still forced, what, three consecutive three-and-outs after Michael Carter fumbled to keep this team in the game, and that probably led to, I don't know if you saw the question that Josh Allen was asked after the game where they the Buffalo reporter, proving that New York reporters are New York even if you're in Buffalo, said, this isn't a Super Bowl-caliber offense, right? But And Josh Allen shows, goes, okay, maybe the defense is really that good. Like Josh Allen has nine plays to pick up one first down and ice the game. And the defense with the best defensive player on the Jets out, Quinton Williams, and he couldn't do yep. it. It just it just shows you that this defense is forget way ahead of schedule. They are an elite, elite defense. One of the things, and uh, I know a lot of people have pointed out, they gotta stop giving up that big drive after the Jets actually put out points. Yep. Like they need to get a stop. And the shutdown I know that's what? two weeks in a row that they couldn't get yep. that. You know that you talk about it in, in baseball all the time, right? The shutdown inning after you you come out and you, your offense scores, you have to have a shutdown inning. The Jets defense two weeks in a row, yep, gave up just march they down the field, force, easy drives, yep. They need to force turnovers. Uh, I, 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 it's getting to the point. It's 
it's getting to the point now where well like, the pump block the pump block safety is technically for forcing a turnover that would have been a touchdown which also yeah, kind exactly. of that that peeves me a little bit if i said to my buddy who i was like if he just slowed if he just pushed down a little bit with his hands that ball does not go out of the end zone and the Jets score and the game is completely different but have, the defense is so good they just don't they don't force turnovers and I know Josh Allen, like he doesn't turn the ball over a lot. Forget the three interception game. Like that was, I think that was an anomaly because he hasn't turned the ball over really at all since then. But they've got guys on this defense make a, they got to get, they got to force a turnover sooner or later. Jared Goff should throw six interceptions on Sunday. I I mean, with the way he's playing, it's hard to, hard to imagine that. Like he's on a roll right now. My point is he hasn't faced a defense like this and the jets haven't faced a quarterback who will give them opportunities or even against Minnesota. They had their hands on a couple of balls that were just right there. There were some throws that were so off that they couldn't be intercepted because they weren't close that they were that far away from the receiver. Like they just missed opportunities. Yeah, you're right. I mean, the other thing with them, not like, and they were getting, the problem is they were getting forcing turnovers early on in the season. And then it's like, now it's just stop. And the way they're able to get to the quarterback, go for the football. I, I know, you know, I mean, well, you know, with the way this league is now with some of the roughing the passer calls, because some of them have been absolutely atrocious, especially the one on Sunday with Miami and and uh, yeah. the Chargers. I said on but, on Monday's episode, I said, I don't think any of the hits on Mike White were penalties. But if no. the one against Justin Herbert is a penalty, then the one against Mike White is definitely a penalty. Now, I think neither are penalties, but yeah. Which which one? The one where he got his rib, his ribs cracked, or was it? Or is there another one? Well, on Mike White, I don't think any of them were a penalty. I, I thought all of them were clean. I agree. Yeah. I I think we're in a. I think we're agreeing there that all that they were both were those hits were clean, but even when they got to Allen, like even they got to Josh Allen on Sunday. I know that they had definitely had a couple sacks, but and this is something also with Kirk that they didn't do with Kirk Cousins. Go after the ball. It's great to get sacks, and it's great to do that. But go for the football. Bryce like, Huff these is great guys, doing it coming around the edge. Yeah, the one put guy. The ball, yeah. Yeah. They'll put the ball on the ground. That's why a guy like Goff, who I think he, he does get out of the pocket, you know, uh, a good amount of time, a game like Sunday, go after him. They got to go after him. And even if they don't have Quinnen, you know, in the middle there, they still have guys who are going to get to the quarterback. Rankins played huge after, after Quinnen left in the middle. Yeah. I love Sheldon Rankings. Yeah. Sheldon Rankings. I've loved that move ever since they announced it. When they brought him in last year, I thought he was perfect for this locker room because I, I and he's only missed a couple. I mean, I know he missed two like a couple games uh, a couple weeks ago, but he is a monster when you need him to be. He was he's been one one of the most uh, consistent defensive linemen in the game for almost close to a decade now, and he played on a team coached by Sean Payton, who, I mean, I know he was more of an offensive guy, but he knew how to coach. He he knew how to coach defense too. Yeah. Like I and if I can remember correctly, he coached them to be physical, right? Yes. Yeah. And they then that's what they were. And Sheldon, I love that's what I love about Rankins. And even a guy like Jermaine, um, Jermaine Johnson, who got you know he made the big play on the punt block. Yeah. But there's another guy. He can get to the quarterback. He's got speed. I I know they try to mix and match, you know, with the with the defensive scheme and all that. So I'm not gonna get into that because I don't know any of that shit. But like. They've got guys on this defensive line force a turnover. And not to say that their secondary shouldn't be doing the same thing. They should. I feel like they're just they're just one split second away from doing it. Like 
I feel like I don't think they've had, other than the emotional interception, I don't think they've had a turnover since uh, the one that got called back with uh, in the Patriot game. Right. I don't know if that's full. I don't know. I, I look. I'm a, that might be fully incorrect, but that's the last time I remember them getting like them picking one off or getting a turnover. Uh, well, and the Bills game. Right. The Bills, the Bills game was the game is, after that. Yeah. Yeah. The Bills, but the Bills game is its own. It's its own thing. But ever since that, haven't been able to get turnovers, and I think it's. Yep. It's hurting them. It's giving. It's taking away their like. It's taking away their chances to win games. I, I. I mean, I know we want to talk about the offense, but I think that's also it's hurting them more than people think. Yeah, and when you do force fumbles, you have to recover them. That's been their biggest yeah. thing, also. Like they cannot recover a fumble. So it, they've. I've actually think they they haven't been that bad at forcing the fumbles. It's that once you get the fumble, you got to recover it. Exactly. No, uh, you're right. Yeah, we talked about, and we'll get to this in a minute. We'll get to the Detroit game. But you did mention that they're ahead of schedule. I think at this point, it's fair to say you trust the head coach. You trust the GM. Like, these are the right guys. But now it comes down to you have four games. They could win all four of them, and they could lose all four of them. They're winnable games. Probably all four of them are kind of pick them games or, you know, within a couple of points. And it starts on Sunday. I don't care about the moral victories and all the good things, the, the positives about the defense, Mike White, all those great things. Throw it all away. You have to go out and win four games now. I totally agree. And do I think they might win all four? I think they could go. I definitely think they could go three and one. I think 10 wins should be enough for the playoffs. I think the Chargers are frauds. I think Miami is watching them on Sunday. They look like a complete shell of of what they were a couple weeks ago. They haven't looked the same in a month. No. And I, and it's weird because they're fully, they're mostly, they're mostly healthy. Like, and they still have Tyreek Hill. You've got to, uh, You've got a good running game. And then there's the Patriots, and it's like, okay, they beat Arizona. Arizona should have won that game. I'm sorry. That incomplete pass, which should have been a inter- should have been an interception, completely took the wind out of Arizona's sails. And, and DeAndre Hopkins fumble. Well, even more than the DeAndre Hopkins fumble, that would have tied the game at 20. Right. The, the incomplete pass, the one that got called an incomplete pass, it should have been a turnover. That would have tied the game, I believe, at 20. Uh, the game would have been tied at 20. And it's like, all right, it's completely – and Arizona has all the momentum. And then you see, like, it gets called back, and the Patriots like, just never look back. Just like they did in the Jet game. They never look back after that, got, uh, after that play. I don't – I mean, the Patriots, they have the Raiders this week, and then their schedule gets tougher. I think the Jets have, out of all four of those teams, I think they have the best shot to make it. I, I just – I don't trust – I don't trust the Chargers. I think the Patriots, unless they're playing crappy opponents, they can't size up with anybody in this league anymore. They don't. They really don't. I mean, I, I'm, I'm the biggest Raider fan this you know this coming weekend. Yep. <laughs> and I think the Raiders can beat them. Oh, I think Josh McDaniels is going to find a way to lose to Belichick. Come on. <laughs> you, and you might be right. But I also think that's like, all right, that's their Super Bowl kind of because the Raiders uh-huh. are going nowhere. And this is therefore it's Belichick's former head. Like it's yep. Belichick versus McDaniels. And, uh, and I think he's going to have his guy. I think McDaniels is going to have his guys up for this game. I hope so. No, I definitely, I definitely do. I, I'm not saying this could be a route, but I think that the, I think the Raiders and the, it's on the road too, which is, I think that benefits the Raiders that they're going to be the home team. As oh yeah. Cause you know what a tough environment it is to play in Las Vegas, right? What a tough home crowd. I, what I mean, <laughs> yeah, no, what I mean by that is I'd rather them play in Vegas than play in 
New England, where right, like Cincinnati's playing in New England. And as much as I love Cincinnati, and I think they're the one of the hottest teams in the NFL right now, anyone can lose in New England. Absolutely. And that's, and of course, with the Raiders, because they don't like their season's basically over rather than be at home. I yeah. really like they're more fa- favor. They're more favorable to, to do to, you know, to win that game at home. To get back to the Jets, though, I told you before, and we agreed they are ahead of schedule. If they lose all four games, I'm not going to be upset. I will be disappointed, but I, as I said, they're still learning. They're a, they're a work in progress, and yes, they are. Like we could say whatever we want that oh, no, like it's a missed opportunity, but they're still moving in the right direction. I think a lot of people still forget about that, even if they don't make the playoffs, even though they should. They're maybe they're just not ready for prime time yet. Uh, that's one thing I, I've taken out of these these last couple games with Minnesota and Buffalo is the missed opportunities, it still shows me they still got some things to do before they get to that next level. But anything, anything can happen. It's home to Jaguars. Home Jaguars, Thursday night football with right with with Trevor Lawrence, who's been coming on recently and yep. has looked good. It's at mm-hmm. Seattle, who's probably going to be fighting for a playoff spot at that point, And at Miami, probably fighting for a playoff spot as well and wants revenge. They want to beat you with Tua. Yeah, and I mean, the Seattle game, that'll be tough, but Seattle's not the same like they were early in the season. I think we've seen Geno Smith. Turn back he's coming back. Again. Yeah. He's coming back down to earth. And I, I just think they they're, they all are winnable games, but of course they can lose them all. But I think it all depends. They have to win it. Like, this is the week. Like, more than any other week, because Detroit is coming in so hot right now, and they're probably riding a huge – they've got huge confidence going. And it's like, okay, this is the kind of game you want right now. You don't want to like. I'm I'm almost happy that they're playing a team like Detroit as opposed to playing like a uh, Houston or an Indianapolis, a team that, of course, they they should beat, but that's the kind of letdown game that you don't want. So I look at it in that like in that sense. I mean, I don't know what you think. I, I of course we want them to win all four games, but I think three should get them there. I hope so. And with Detroit, I was rooting for Detroit against Minnesota on Sunday because this would be a classic letdown game. I have family from Michigan. My wife's from Michigan. They're all (laughs) Lions fans. They know that the Detroit Lions, what they do, and I'm looking at this from two perspectives because I'm like, the Jets should lose this game because they should figure out a way to knock themselves out of the playoffs. But the Lions Mm -hmm. should also lose the game to figure out a way for them to knock themselves out of the playoffs. But then I think both of these teams, it would be so classic for both of these teams to actually win till the last game of the season. And then Detroit loses to the Packers to knock themselves out of the playoffs. And for the Jets, they'd be losing to Minnesota to not, or to Miami to knock themselves out of the playoffs. So I don't know which franchise's terrible DNA outweighs the other <laughs> to win this game or to lose this game. Um, but for the Jets, and by the way, Dan Campbell, like I think we can agree, he's not I'm a good Dan football Cam- coach. I love Dan Campbell. I know. I love him too, but he's not a good football coach. Think about the things he did. Him going for the field goal when he said that he, you know, a few weeks ago, he missed a field goal that was like a 52 yarder and gave the team the short field up when he was up, whatever it was. And they drove down and won. He did the same thing against Minnesota again. The fake punt, it's great because it worked, but it was a terrible decision to fake punt there, right? What was he? He was like in, deep in his own territory and decided they to fake in, punt. They were inside their own 30. Right, they're at the like 26 or 27 yard line and they decide to fake punt. Yeah, great when it works out. But I really think like as far as Dan Campbell, he I don't think he's actually a great football mind. Like he's a great motivator. motivator. And a great, yeah, but 
at the same time, he's going to make a mistake that's going to cost them at some point. Let's hope that they have that letdown game and it's this week against the Jets. I don't think it see, I actually don't want like we could of course we want them to have a letdown game. I don't think they're gonna be like that. The when you have the kind of confidence that they're playing with right now, and I almost I almost feel like they're kind of like the way the Jets were that first year under Todd Bowles, where they got hot down the stretch and it felt like they could be they could beat anybody and they could go toe to toe with anybody. And like I as I said, I, I like that the Jets are getting a tough opponent this week. I really do like that. Uh, I mean, I can't I can't state that enough. I didn't want, of course, like, yeah, do I want an easy win? Sure, because that almost like, that almost ensures that your shot at the playoffs is going to, it's like, it increases. But this is a a litmus test kind of game for this coaching staff and for this roster and for this team, knowing the steps that they've made this year in the right direction. And we'll just, I mean, there's a lot on the line. And I think even if the Jets lose, Season's not over. It's still not over. They still have a shot, but it'll hurt. Like it'll definitely hurt that their chances. But out, yeah. I see. That's the thing. I said three out of four. Yep. Three out of four. If they run the table, awesome. Love it. Great. And I think I honestly think no one wants to play them in the playoffs. Uh, not saying not like with the way they run the ball. Not with the way they play defense. And even if let's say Zach Wilson or Mike White like are you know playing really well. That also benefits, and their special teams is being is has been unreal the past couple of weeks too. So they have everything; they'll have everything going for them into the playoffs. But it comes down to this week: win this week, that's it. Doesn't matter how you do it; just win. Yep. And the other play, by the way, I wrote down from Dan Campbell. I wrote down a few plays, but the one that I wrote down that I thought was so classic, Dan Campbell. Running a play to Panay Sewell with the game on the line. Like, just put a tight end, even if it's a third string tight end or the back of fullback, run him in motion. You had to run a play because, like, that's so classic Dan Campbell that he loves his guys so much that he wants to run a play to Panay Sewell with the game on the line, running him in motion. Like, that's going to cost you. It just (laughs) is. Like, you can't coach football like that. I'm sorry. Like, it's fun. It's fun for Lion fans. It looks good on hard knocks. It's nice when they're winning, but it catches up to you when you're losing. By the way, uh, we talked about the Dolphins a little bit, and I'm going to get to them in a second. But Mike McDaniel also, now he's saying that he thought players were trying to do much and playing outside the scheme, and then he had to you know, take that back because he said, no, I'm not blaming my players. So like Mike McDaniels, these personalities that everyone fell in love with at the beginning of the season, it's all fun and games when you're winning. Once you start losing, those things don't look as pretty anymore. Um, but here's how I think it's going to go. So if you think about the Minnesota game, the two Patriots games, and the Buffalo game, the Jets had maybe nine plays that if one of those nine plays goes the Jets' way, they probably win at least one of those games. But this is classic Jets. They're going to win the next three games, and it's going to come down to Miami, win and you're in, in Miami. It's going to feel like the 2015 game in Buffalo, and that's going to be the real test. That's going to be the test, in my opinion. Has this team changed? Has the DNA changed? Or are they going to lose again in Miami the last week of the season? Because that's the game that matters. I don't think – I disagree with you that – I don't think it's going to come down to the Miami game. I think it's going to come down to Seattle. I really, really do. For the reason that, not Gino? to say that, that what? No. Gino and that well, karma. That's, that's one story. But to me, you're going out to Seattle 
one of the hard, one of the toughest places to play. Not even, not even come out with a win. One of the toughest places to play in the National Football League, bar none. Maybe one, maybe the toughest uh, over the past decade. To me, that's the game that's going to decide that. That's the game that's going to decide their season. And however they go into it, I just like that game scares the hell out of me. If they if they win this week and win or even if, if they lose this week and then win against the win against Jacksonville and then they go in with their season basically on the line and they have a and let's say they can clinch a playoff berth, that game is what really, really like that would be to me the defining moment of their season. Especially if they go in there and win, because not a lot of I, I know teams have done it this year, have gone into but Seattle's a different animal, man. Then going in, uh, forget but like, of course we could talk about Buffalo. Forget going to Miami. Miami, you know, it's gonna be fifty. It'll be half Jet fans, half, you know, half Dolphin fans. Seattle, man, though they're allowed. They're inti- It's an intimidating place to play. Uh, I, I mean, not. I'm not trying to look ahead, but I don't think that. I don't think it's gonna come come down to the Miami game. I'm str- I'm so hell bent on them going into Seattle with their season, like in the, with their playoff hope on the line. Yeah. And think about it. Sam Darnold just went into Seattle on my, on Sunday and, and, and beat them there. I think Seattle overlooked. Carol, and, yeah. Yeah. Carolina could still win the division, but I feel like watching that first couple, I watched the first, like ha- the first, like the first quarter of that game. It looked like Seattle, like overlooked them as an opponent because they just they ran seen, the ball down their throat. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, Sam was Sam and he made the right, he made good plays when he needed to. And their defense was all over them, gave them nothing. All right. So you said you don't want to look ahead too much. It's funny that we mentioned Sam Darnold. Do you think Zach Wilson ever plays a game again for this Jets franchise? Yes. I think it's this week. Do you think Zach Wilson will get into the game on Sunday? I, if Mike White, if Mike White is at, like, if he's as busted up as some people might think he is. And I don't know if that, like, I don't know what the case is. I'm sure we're going to find out later in the week. There's probably going to be at least one play in this game where Sam, where I'm sorry, not Sam, where Zach has to come into the game, whether it's Mike getting hurt or maybe gets a little creative and wants to throw Wilson in there for a player, like almost like a Taysom Hill type of situation. I do think that Wilson does take the field again in a Jets uniform. And I think it's this week. So let me change it a little bit. Barring injury, does Zach Wilson start a game again for the Jets in his career? Start a game. Barring injury. I don't – I think it's 50-50. Okay. And would you say it's this year or next year? This year. So what do you think happens this offseason with the Jets quarterback situation – Say, I guess there's two ways to look at it. Say Mike White plays well and they make the playoffs. Is he's the is he the guy next year, or do they look for a veteran guy? Is Zach Wilson still on the roster? Do they try and bring in a veteran with Zach Wilson? How does that look going into next season? And I know we're getting way ahead of ourselves, but I don't know. What do you think? I think well, I know Mike White's an unrestricted free agent. Correct. I think to to me, it's still just take a game by game and see where things are if. If White gets you there, if he gets you to the playoffs, I give him a contract. You know, three years, thirty million. Someone mentioned that, like as good numbers. And I still think you keep Zach. And if you have to, let them fight it out for that number one spot next year. But I'm really, 
I'm not at that point yet. I'm still at the point now. I'm in the present where I'm not thinking about after this season. I'm worried of like, this is their biggest game. In, well, every game this year, like the past couple of weeks, every we said game has it been so many times. Yep. Yeah, yeah, we said it, but we said this it since one, the Miami game, the first yeah, Miami but, game. It's this one in particular, and no, this Sunday in particular, and it, we went over all the reasons. The other reason, the other reason we didn't mention, they're at home. This is a home game. That place, and I'm going to be, I'm going to that game. That place is going to be an absolute zoo on Sunday, and for a good reason. This is their biggest home game, in a very, very long time. Because their playoff hopes depend on it, so to me that's a that's a factor we haven't really we didn't uh, talk about before with everything that was everything we were talking about. But it's a home like they have to win this game at home. Like there has not been a lot of games over the pa- over the past few years, or over the past like let's say five or six years that mattered. You know that they win it on uh, on their home turf. This is it. This is the game they have to win on home like at home like they're gonna have the crowd behind them got to do it just yep. have to win a hundred percent all right well let's hope they win this week um thank you so much for joining me hopefully we do this again maybe it's like a pre-miami game maybe it's a playoff game maybe it's an off-season game but this jets therapy i think i think uh it's a good place i appreciate that i'm the podcast that you come on for the jets therapy <laughs> um and uh thanks for doing this no, I appreciate it. I'm, I'm surprised we didn't talk hockey because your Rangers are starting to roll again right now. <laughs> you know what? I, I'm so I actually looked at the Rangers and the Knicks getting hot, and I was like, yeah, you know what? The Jets, if they fall apart, I'll have something to lean on, something else to crush my hopes. <laughs> yeah, I would never, I never lean, I would never lean on the Knicks ever in my yeah, exactly. life, even if I was a Knicks fan. Rangers oh are a different God. story. Yeah, well, let's hope the Rangers get hot. Let's go, but let's go Jets. Let's let's not have to worry about them at least till uh, January. Because uh, hopefully the Jets will be keeping us uh, happy until then. Absolutely. All right. Thank you, man. As we move closer to the week, I do feel that the Jets are going to win this game. Um, it's how I feel in the moment right now, 9 p.m., about on a Thursday night, watching Thursday night football, watching the Rangers entertain me. Just finished the second period. It's been uh, a fantastic game. And that second period in particular was incredible. But back to the Jets. Like I said, it's not even about the Jets. I do feel good about the Jets. Um, I, you know, we might see Zach Wilson. Like I said, he's QB2 in this game. It's a possibility that we see him. I hope we don't have to. You're one hit away from him coming into the game at any point. Uh, but I think he'd be more competent as a backup than Joe Flacco at this point. Hopefully, Mike White is healthy. He says he's ready to go and he's good to go for this game. I hope that's the case. The Jets will likely be without Quinnen Williams, which is tough. But this Jets defense is still really good, and this Detroit defense is not that good. And like I said, it comes down to Dan Campbell, that field goal at the end of the game, and the fake punt from his own 26-yard line, and the throw to Panay Sewell. Those three plays are plays that you love it when you're winning. Dan Campbell coaching with his heart, coaching having his team's back. I'm sure the players love it in the moment, but those are coaching decisions that can cost you a game. And I trust the Jets coaching staff more than I trust the Detroit Lions coaching staff right now. These are two teams who are talented, but you need to find those plays. And we've seen this with the Jets, especially in the two games against New England and the last two games they've played against Minnesota and against Buffalo. You have to find those plays to win games that are game-winning plays and games that you're close. I think against a team like the Lions, I think the Jets can find a way to make those plays and win. 
All right, so with that, I kind of gave away my Jets pick, but I'm going to go through all my picks in the NFL this weekend. Um, Thursday night football is happening as we speak. Early on, end of the first quarter, it is the Niners 7 and the Seahawks 0. I have the Niners and the under in this game. Um, I do think the Seahawks are starting to come down. And Brock Purdy, I mean, ridiculous. He's 9 for 9 to start the game with 73 yards and a touchdown pass to George Kittle. Just unreal start to the game for Brock Purdy. An incredible job. And with this kid, that story, what he's become, we'll see how the rest of the game goes. Still have a lot of time left in this game, and I'll update you uh, right before I head out. But you'll know what happens already by the time you hear this. To Saturday we go, and a game in Minnesota, and it's Indianapolis at Minnesota. Minnesota is favored by minus 4.5. And And here's the thing with Minnesota. Everyone knows they're 10-3, and but they have a negative point differential. They come off a terrible loss against the Lions. We know about the loss to Dallas. All those things are true. They got blown out by Philly early in the year. But what's the one thing we know about this Minnesota team? They've played really well against bad teams, and albeit they've still won close games, four and a half, that's a wide margin. They keep winning these one-score games. I think it's 7-0 and now in one-score games. But I really think Indianapolis is such a bad team right now. Although Matt Ryan may be against a Minnesota defense, this is where he finally looks like the Matt Ryan of old for the first time this season. But the Minnesota defense up front is not that bad. I think they can actually get pressure on Matt Ryan, and we know that's the last thing he needs. Um, I'm going to take Minnesota minus four and a half. This is the type of game where it's all the Minnesota fans. See, all the Kirk Cousins lovers. I I told you so. Kirk is good, blah, blah, blah. All those things that you hear from Minnesota fans. I think this is one of those games. I think Minnesota will come out and they will beat Indianapolis minus four and a half. By the way, um, after last week's performance on my picks, which was bad, I have abandoned my... uh, my theory not my theory but my method because and and this is my theory on why I abandoned the method and why I had to I got too good at picking the lines I got too good at guessing the lines it it really should have been instead of trying to guess the line it should have been what I think the line should be um this is one of those games where I'm still going to use that logic I'm going to use gut feeling but this is one of those games where I feel like the line could have been six I think Minnesota maybe wins in a one score game but more than four and a half in my opinion at 4.30 p.m., again, that's 1 p.m. on Sunday, 4.30 p.m. on Sunday, it's Baltimore at Cleveland. Cleveland is favored by minus 2.5, and, and all week, all we've been hearing from the Ravens' defensive players, they've been talking up Deshaun Watson. Now, it could be that Deshaun Watson, after two games, finally gets the rust off and finally comes back uh, to where he's playing like Deshaun Watson is capable of playing. And the Ravens players, of course, why would you give them bolts and board material? If I were the Ravens players, I'd also be talking up Deshaun Watson, and they did. So obviously, you're going to sing the praises of your opponent so that you don't get them mad. But it could be that Deshaun Watson, after playing or not playing football for 600 days, I think it was, he comes back, he just hasn't been that good, and more than that, uh, he might be a little tight with no massages. Maybe he's not as loose out there. It's kind of funny, um, but uh, I think it's funny at least. Sometimes I make those jokes just for myself. If you laughed, I appreciate you, or I don't, but um, yeah, I thought it was funny. Um, I don't think he's going to be as good, and the, the more concerning part, we've never seen a full healthy season from Nick Chubb. Um, Nick Chubb, not that he's injury prone by any means, but he always misses a game or two. He did not look like himself running the ball, and he couldn't get anything going running the ball. Maybe he's starting to slow down end of the season. He's not the biggest running back. He's a thick dude, but he's not the biggest running back. Um, and I think Cleveland, minus two and a half. I'm going to take the Ravens. 
Tyler Huntley will play for the Ravens, it looks like. Um, he's out of concussion protocol, so he should play. I think the Ravens will find a way. This is what I said about these Ravens games the rest of the year. They don't have too many tough opponents. I think they're going to find a way to beat Cleveland. At 8.15, oh, by the way, in Baltimore-Cleveland, I don't know what the over-under is. I forgot to check. Definitely take the under. At 8.15 p.m. on Saturday, and this is one of the biggest games. This is a game where we find out what Miami is made of. There have been a lot of things going on in Miami. Um, Mike McDaniel had to walk some comments back. Much like I said with Dan Campbell, when you're winning, it looks good and fun. When you're losing, all of a sudden, Mike McDaniel, I think he's a much better coach than Dan Campbell. But the things he says in his style all of a sudden becomes intolerable when they're losing. I think Miami is headed down a really bad place. All the doubters of Tua Tungavailoa are starting to be proven right again. Um, and like I said, I watched him play early in the season. I said he was really good, but I've watched him play the last few weeks. And he's been really, really bad. I think the Buffalo offense is ready to explode. I think a night game in freezing cold weather with the conditions in Buffalo is not going to be easy for Tua. He said it snowed a little bit in Alabama when they asked him about the snow. It snowed about roughly an inch at most in Alabama. Uh, It's going to be feet of snow that we're talking about in Buffalo on Sunday. It's going to be a disgusting weather game. Really fun to watch as a football fan. It's going to be glorious. But Buffalo minus seven at home. I was shocked that it's not more. I think Buffalo finds a way to blow out, not just beat, but blow out Miami. And I think it's a real statement game. And it's going to be a game that Miami is going to have to look themselves in the mirror and say, okay, who are we now? Now we're eight and six. Now we have to find a way. Obviously, San Francisco, a really good team they lost to. Obviously, the Chargers, they're a pretty good team, not too bad a team. But right now, if you look at the games that the Dolphins have played the last few weeks, they scored 17 points two weeks in a row. And prior to that, during their five-game winning streak, when everyone was on them saying they're so good, during that five-game winning streak, and we talked about the seven-game winning streak they had last year where they weren't that good, the defenses that they played against were ranked 26th, 27th, 29th, and 31st when they beat the Lions, beat the Bears, beat Cleveland without Deshaun Watson, and also beat the Texans, beat some really bad teams there. Those are four wins against four really bad teams. Good job by them, you know, beating teams that are bad teams. But you look at the one game that they won against a 14th-ranked opponent, the 14th-ranked defense. They only put up 16 points. That was against the Steelers. So, like I said, I don't know if Miami is frauds, but I think this game will go a long way to tell you if they are. And it's really going to be about the eyeball test more than anything because the last couple weeks, Tua Tungavailoa has not looked like the same quarterback. Would it shock me if they came back and won this game? No, but give me Buffalo minus 7. Atlanta is at New Orleans on Sunday. The New Orleans Super Bowl window that was open, it feels like, for the last few years of the Sean Payton and Drew Brees era. We obviously know about everything that happened with penalties not being called, the Stefan Diggs play against them, the Miracle in Minnesota, all those different things that they had to endure in playoff games. Just not a great stretch for Saints fans. But it feels like that window, that team is done. Cam Jordan is not the same guy he once was. The same goes for Alvin Kamara, not the same guy he once was. Um, Right now, the quarterback situation, I don't know why they don't go to Jameis. I don't know why they don't even go to Taysom Hill full-time. It's not good right now, the situation with Andy Dalton. Uh, They're somehow favored at home, 
by minus four and a half. Maybe it's Desmond Ritter, and that situation is super weird in Atlanta with Desmond Ritter getting the start over Marcus Mariota, and apparently Marcus Mariota, after being told he wasn't the starter, quit on the team and just left. I don't know if that's true. I don't know what to believe. Sometimes it's easy for the media to say that after, you know, something like that happens. After something like that happens, it's easy to say after the fact, oh, well, we don't like this guy. Mariota's not that good. Kind of like the Mets beat reporters did after DeGrom left. Um, But minus four and a half feels like way too big of a line for New Orleans against an Atlanta team that's been relatively decent this season. I'm going to take Atlanta to cover the plus four and a half. This brings us to the Jets. The Jets are at home against Detroit. Like I said, the Jets are one of the best defenses in the league. They have Bam Knight who can run the ball right down Detroit's throat. And I really think that overall, Mike White is not that bad a quarterback. This line moved back and forth. It opened as Jets minus two, I think. It then went to Detroit minus two. It's now the Jets minus one and a half. I like the Jets in this game. Whenever I pick the Jets, they end up losing, but I like the Jets to win and cover the minus one and a half against Detroit at home. I really think this is a huge game for the Jets at home, for this coaching staff, for everyone on this team, and I feel like they're just going to get up for this game. I feel like it's a kind of team, not like Buffalo and not like Minnesota, that you can't survive a couple small mistakes. Not that I'm saying the Jets should make small mistakes, but I think it's the type of game that they can survive a couple of penalties, a couple of tough mistakes. I think they'll clean most of that that stuff up. My only hope is that Mike White can stay healthy enough to end up closing this game and playing the entire game. Otherwise, it's going to be very run-heavy with Bam Knight. Um, Even Michael Carter, if he's healthy enough to go, lots of running games, uh, and they should be able to... Look, they played defense against Buffalo pretty well uh, even after Williams was out. Obviously, Williams still is the best defensive player on this Jets team, and it sucks to not have him, but I think... Even without Williams, I think uh, after coming off a big win at home against Minnesota last week, I think this could potentially be a letdown game for the Detroit Lions, who granted are one of the hottest teams in the NFL right now. I'm going to take the Jets minus one and a half at home. Kansas City is at Houston and it's minus 14 and a half for Kansas City, plus 14 and a half for Houston. Uh, I don't love that line. We know how I feel about huge lines. That was one of the games I got right last week. It was, what was it, 17 and a half? Um, was the huge line for the team playing Houston. It was Dallas playing Houston. I don't love these huge lines. I just To me, I can't pick them. What's the biggest weakness of the Houston Texans is defending the run, I think. And there's a lot of weaknesses. They're the worst team in the NFL. So I could definitely see Kansas City winning by 14 or more. But I think their biggest weakness is defending the run. And I feel like the biggest weakness for Kansas City is running the football. We talked about them closing out games with running the ball last week. I'm going to take the over and the points in this game, and I think that plus 14 and a half, I'm going to take Houston to cover. This could be a game to get right for Pacheco, to get right for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Whoever it is, they should find a way to try and get right in this game so that uh, they can figure out their running game because that's going to be important to closing out games later in the season. I definitely think Kansas City will win. They may even win by two scores. I just don't think it'll be by more than 14 points, although it can be. I'm going to take Houston plus 14 and a half at home. Philadelphia is at Chicago and Philadelphia is favored by nine in this game. And the question is, is this a trap game for Philadelphia? Philadelphia comes off a absolute blowout on the road in New York against the Giants. Obviously, there's going to be a huge game on Sunday Night Football in the division between the Giants and the Washington Commanders. And next week, Philadelphia on Christmas, they go and they play 
against Dallas, which is going to be maybe the biggest game in the NFC so far this season. And people are already asking about Micah Parsons, asking them about Dallas, asking about that rivalry. And so it's the ultimate look ahead, ultimate trap between two crazy division games. The first part of the division game, the first division game against the Giants, they absolutely blew out the Giants. It was not even a competition. But nine points, I mean, this is a Chicago team that we know that they can run the ball with Justin Fields. But aside from that, this team has been awful. This defense in particular has been awful. This is one of the most talented rosters in football in the Philadelphia Eagles going into Chicago against one of the least talented rosters in the NFL. Yes, this has trap game. This has close game. Even if they don't lose, it has the type of trap like we saw in Houston and uh, the Texans with Dallas last week where they just had to figure out a way to win late. I still trust that Philly will find a way to get it done. Philly can win by nine points in this game or more. I think the talent discrepancy is just too big. um, And I think Philly is going to blow out the Chicago Bears and win by more than nine in this game. I'm going to take Philly to win and cover the plus nine. Pittsburgh is at Carolina. Carolina is favored by minus two and a half. It's the type of game where Pittsburgh coming off a loss coming off a game where they kind of got embarrassed because they just didn't do the small things correctly. Like I said, if they just run it a few more times and kick a couple field goals, they win that game. They lost to a third string quarterback in the Baltimore Ravens, Anthony Brown. Not that I'm saying they should have won that game with their backup quarterback, Mitch Trubisky. But if you had to pick Anthony Brown versus Mitch Trubisky before a game, you probably would have picked Mitch Trubisky. Not a great look for the Pittsburgh Steelers. We know how Mike Tomlin gets after losses like that. He's never had a losing season Maybe it's the type of game where they bounce back. I could definitely see that happening against Carolina. But I like what Carolina has been able to do. They run the ball and rely on Sam Darnold just to make a few throws. I'm going to take Carolina. I just don't think there is that much talent on this Pittsburgh team. The strength of that team has been up front on the defensive side. And even that has not been there. If you think about you go back to last game, they got gashed the amount of yards that the Ravens were able to run on them. And you knew the Ravens were running the ball. The Ravens had no option, especially once Tyler Huntley was out of the game and it was just Anthony Brown. There was nothing the Ravens could do but run the football. And yet still Pittsburgh couldn't figure out a way to stop them. I think Carolina will have an easy time running the ball on Pittsburgh. Uh, and I think that Sam Darnold is better than Anthony Brown. And I think Carolina will win at home and will cover the minus two and a half. Dallas is at Jacksonville. This is the last of the one o'clock games. Dallas has been really good. We know the story with Dallas. They almost lose somehow against Houston, though. I don't think that Dak has been playing extremely well the last few weeks. And if there's ever a team that's actually needs to look ahead, that's going to maybe be looking ahead to the game against Philly, it would be Dallas. Dallas's season could really, or at least their chances for the division, could end against Jacksonville. In Jacksonville, Dallas is favored by minus four and a half. I don't know if Jacksonville will win, but I think Jacksonville will find a way to actually cover against Dallas, cover the four and a half. And also, again, the way that Trevor Lawrence has been playing, and think about that. Can you imagine Trevor Lawrence being in this offense instead of whoever Mike White or Zach Wilson and the fact that the Jets won two games back a couple of years ago and what was it the 2020 season and that was the difference between them getting Trevor Lawrence and not uh, the way the Jets are right now this team would be so good uh, they're really good as it is but this team would be so good with Trevor Lawrence I do think Trevor Lawrence is that good I'm going to be rooting for Jacksonville this game because then maybe there's a better chance the Jets beat them on Thursday night four days later um, but I think Jacksonville actually will at least compete, if not win, and cover the four and a half for sure against Dallas in this game. 
In the 4 o'clock games, it's Arizona against Denver, and I have no idea where to go for this game. I'm shocked it's not a pick Denver is favored by minus 3. Russell Wilson should be back for this game, but I don't even think it matters. Obviously, we know Kyler Murray isn't in this game. We know how bad these two teams have been. They've been easily the two most disappointing teams in the NFL when you think about which team has disappointed more. I might want to take Arizona just because I don't trust any team with more than three points in this game. And I actually think Arizona at times this season has looked better without Kyler Murray out there on the on the field. So I'm going to take uh, Arizona to cover. I don't trust Russell Wilson. Um, and I thought Arizona was just a couple of plays away, it felt like, from even beating the Patriots last week. And they really blew that game more than the Patriots won it. Um, and so I'm going to take Arizona to cover the three I don't know which team wins, but I don't think either team can win by more than three points in this game. Although Denver looked as good as they've looked prior to Russell Wilson going out, which is just a shame uh, last week. But I'm going to take Arizona in this game on the road plus three. New England, speaking of New England, is at Las Vegas and it's minus one. And you heard me joking with Rob Taub about all oh, the crazy home field advantage that Las Vegas has. Like I said, I don't think Las Vegas has a great home field advantage. I don't think either of these teams are good, but these are teams that have been feisty despite not being great teams all year. And I think Josh McDaniels is not going to beat Bill Belichick and more. Bill Belichick is never going to lose to Josh McDaniels. So Vegas being favored by minus one. Yeah, they have more talent than the New England Patriots, but I'm going to take the Patriots to cover and definitely win this game against Las Vegas. Which, by the way, is going to put the Jets again in a tough spot because the more the Patriots win, and I, after we got off the call, I kind of was laughing with Rob. I'm like, you realize the Jets are in last place now? It doesn't feel like it, but they're in last place in the AFC East. It does not feel like that at all because they've been good and they've been competitive. But um, seven and six right now is last place in the AFC East. We'll see what happens after this week. If Miami loses and the Jets win, then they'd already be ahead of Miami because they do have the head-to-head against Miami. Um, New England loses, they'd be ahead of them as well. But I don't think New England is going to lose. And then New England remains in the playoff picture ahead of the Jets and ahead of Miami. That's how that would work. 425 is Tennessee at the Chargers. The Chargers are favored by minus three. I think everyone is back on the Chargers, and I told you this would happen after that win. Everyone's off Tennessee again, and this is where I like it. I like Tennessee as the underdogs. I like the Chargers, or I, I, I should say I don't like the Chargers when they're favored. When everyone's back on them, that's when they remind you that they're not very good, and Brendan Staley makes a bunch of coaching mistakes. I'm going to take Tennessee to cover the three. I think Tennessee can win this game in L.A. against the Chargers. Cincinnati is at Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay is plus three and a half. And uh, there was something interesting that I actually heard about Cincinnati. And everyone knows how I feel about Cincinnati at this point of the season. I think they're coming on. I think that they are as hot as any team in the NFL. We obviously all know about Tampa Bay. And despite Tom Brady playing well, they got absolutely destroyed by the 49ers last week. And it's crazy to me that the 49ers, or rather the Bucks keep getting, I guess not favored, but just are only two to three point dogs in these games. Todd Bowles has proven he's a bad coach. This team is not playing well. And Tom Brady, despite him playing decently, he's not playing well enough to win these games for uh, the Bucks. And so it's weird to me that it, even at home, that's only a three and a half point spread. It doesn't make that much sense to me at all. But Tampa Bay is plus three and a half in this game. But back to my point about the Bengals. The Bengals, if you go back now, they've won five games in a row. The last game they lost was the Browns game. They lost 32-13. to They got blown out, and we know about that loss. That was the day 
that one of the staffers on the team passed away and it was just a tough day for the organization. And so I don't know, you just can't really, I don't, I don't if blames the right word, but it's just a tough day. It's hard to look at that game as a real indicator of what this Cincinnati team is this year. There are other losses, a game that they had in the bag and then lost on a last second score by the Ravens. They lost 19 to 17 against the Ravens. Another loss they had was a three point game as well against the Cowboys. And they lost by three to the Steelers. Those are their losses. That's it. A three-point game in overtime against the Steelers, a three-point game against the Cowboys, and a last-second loss by two to the Ravens. And then a game where they played on a day that just they should not have had to play a football game on that day. Cincinnati, for all the talk that I had earlier in the year about the Super Bowl hangover, this team's been even better than they've been last year. They're every bit as good as the top two teams in the AFC when you think about Kansas City and Buffalo. I think this is one of the best teams in the NFL. I'm going to take Cincinnati to blow out Tampa Bay to win and cover. That brings us to Sunday Night Football and is the biggest game of the week, the biggest game of the NFC so far this season, in my opinion. It is the Giants and Washington. The winner of this game essentially books their ticket to the postseason and the loser is going to have some work to do it's going to be tough for them to make the playoffs it is in Washington it's a huge football game between the Giants and the Washington Commanders Washington more talented undeniably they're favored by minus four and a half though I think this is going to be a close game I think the Giants could find a way to win and I like the Giants plus four and a half in this game that's going to do it for the picks on this episode Like I said, I have some baseball talk, so this episode is far from over. It's a quicker conversation, but here it is. Julian Giorte, right now on the Rami LaVie podcast. Joining me now on the Rami LaVie podcast, someone we had to have on for a while. He covers the Yankees, the Mets, the Somerset Patriots, and was at the winter meeting, so I figured this was as good a time as any to do it. My buddy, Julian Giorte. Julian, how you doing, man? Thanks for having me, Rami. Um, it's been a, it's been a whirlwind of events and a lot of things that have happened, but, um, I'm just happy to be back and settled in again. Um, it was a crazy experience. I'd love to talk about it. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. And I mean, we did sign Aaron Judge, so that was the highlight for Yankee fans. We had the whole fiasco with Arson Judge and John Avon, obviously. I was at the pinnacle of that. Like, I went on the fan to talk to Kate that night. So it was really a lot of things going on. My phone was blowing up like the whole day. Everyone was like, what's going on? I'm like, oh, I don't know. Like, a little bit nervous here. I'm going to be quiet. So I was just like trying to figure everything out. Yeah, so that was, I mean, and thanks so much for doing this, but that was like the center of the entire winter meetings was, first of all, Aaron Judge, period. So to me, I kind of want to break it down into four stages. There's before Aaron, there was any Aaron Judge news. That was like the first two days you were out there. Then obviously the John Heyman news. Then after we realized the John Heyman report, basically five minutes later was incorrect. And then when judge actually signed. So let's go one by one. Let's start with the first two days. when I actually like how you did that because I break it up in a similar way. The only thing I would differentiate is that I was nervous for a few more hours. Like it took me more than five minutes to figure it out because like another giant supporter was saying that they thought he was going there too. But that was just because of him. Like there was buzz in the lobby that he was going to go there. But I'm not real time out there. It took me a few hours to like, once it died down, I was good though. Yeah. So what was it like before the Heyman tweet, before the first Heyman tweet, just, you know, the first few minutes or the first couple of days, I should say, 
you're out there. And obviously the biggest fish in the water is judge Trey Turner signed a bunch of other news happened, right? Uh, DeGrom goes to Texas, but you guys are all waiting on judge. What was the vibe like around at the winter meetings? Well, it started off with Justin Verlander, you know. I talked to Heyman a lot, actually. That's why it's so funny and ironic, because I literally saw him every day and spoke to him, like, daily, like, a couple times. That's why it's just, like, so funny, like, how it all ended up playing out. Um, He told me that Verlander was going to be the first big name to sign that he thought judge. So he was right about Verlander. I had I kind of knew Verlander was going to be a Met that day in the morning, so that got things started. Then you get the news with Trey Turner when I'm in the media workroom. So, like, I couldn't fully absorb it. I was like, oh, shit, they got Turner. But I'm, like, not ready to, like, talk about it at this moment. So, like, it was a lot that first day. Then, like, I'm like, I'm like okay, we're waiting. Let's see. Um, Like he said, Judge, he thought would be after Verlander. So, I was like, all right. My initial mindset was Tuesday for Judge. But then I started to realize it was more of a Wednesday thing once we saw the things I had down with Heyman and stuff. So, um, that's what it was like before. We were kind of just monitoring things, like seeing what else was going to impact Judge or like whatever else. And then like when they signed Mitch Hanniger, I felt a little bit better. Like it didn't completely rule them out, but I was like, okay, at least like they got someone else. So it's like a little less likely, but um, yeah, that's, that's where I'm at with that. That's, that's how that was. And then those five minutes, Arson Judge and then Aaron <laughs> Judge appears to be headed to the Giants. I mean, it was never definitive. He never wrote it in, de- in a definitive way. But I imagine you're seeing, you know, people like Jack Curry and Meredith Morakovich Mar- and all of those people were probably scrambling, just trying to figure out even Jeff Passan, trying to figure out what's real, what's uh-huh. not. Yes. Um, so those first five minutes and you think he's a giant. Everyone thinks he's a giant. What was that buzz that uh, I guess who was it? Um, Susie Schloss- Schlosser who wrote yes. about the buzz in the lobby. Yeah, what but I met her too. Like? <laughs> that's what I was talking about. Yep, and that's yep. what made me nervous because she's a very good giant supporter, like one of the better ones. I was like, oh, what if she's really hearing something legitimate about him going too? Because she's a very good giant supporter. Um, Curry was actually holding serve. Like he was, he was a little bit um nervous. Well, not nervous. Not I won't say nervous because he thought Judge was always going to be back. But like at that time, he was a little bit questionable. He was like, it's a business. Like you never know what could happen. But then I know on the show he was saying the Yankees were still in it, and then Michael K sent a text to them or something saying the Yankees are still in it. So I was like, all right, we're probably good. I mean, if they're both saying we're still in it, like we're probably going to be okay. Like Heyman has jumped the gun before. Um, like I said, he did it with Garrett Cole going to Anaheim. Like we thought he was going to be an angel and then he ends up going to the Yankees too. So I was like, we were actually live when it happened. Like me and Sandy were live when, when the news broke, she like talks about the tweet and I was like, so you got my live reacted to it. It's actually posted on our story on Instagram now, if you want to see it quickly, uh, out in the field, (laughs) but, um, it was really funny how she broke it. That it was just like, you'd have to see like our reactions to it. Like we were like. We weren't like we weren't we didn't think it was completely over, but we were shook, obviously. Yeah. So you mentioned Heyman has done this before, specifically with the Yankees. Is there a chance because five minutes later he deletes the tweet? Do you think there's any chance that there's someone on the inside who's feeding him this information, maybe as a way to push the Yankees a little bit? Like, do you feel yeah, that the Yankees sure. maybe felt a little pressure and were like, oh shoot, we need to make something happen now? The only thing I'll say with this is that the guy that normally feeds Heyman is Scott Boris. But 
Boris wasn't involved with the judge negotiations, so I'm not sure who would have fed that one to Heyman. I mean, it is possible, though. Like, this does happen. I do agree with you in a certain aspect. Uh, I do think that definitely turned the pressure on the Yankees. I was like, okay. I feel like once they realized that it wasn't going to happen, I'm like, all right, they're going to settle in. They're going to figure it out. They, they get another shot here. Because, like, for a second, we all thought it was over. Um, so... I was feeling good once all the buzz died down. It's like, all right, we're probably going to be fine. Because I was like, my mindset was like, if he was going to go to the Giants, he would have went like right then. It wasn't going to take longer. So I was like, okay, we're probably good. Let's sleep on it. We'll wake up the next day. And then I, I literally, it was five in the morning in the West Coast. Right, yeah. That was pretty crazy. So 8.30 in the morning, Eastern time, I was home here. And so I get, I obviously see the notification, Aaron Judge, back to Yankees, five o'clock in the morning there. What was those few hours like after you found out that he's back it was craziness honestly like I just happened to be up thankfully I don't know why I was but I was awake when it broke basically I actually got a text to my phone I wasn't on Twitter it was a group chat actually so then I looked then I looked on Twitter I was like all right let's make sure it's real then I saw Morosi and Rosendahl I was like okay we're good like because they're two of the better people in there and they don't really miss on anything so once they say it you're normally you're normally good then we get going to the main hotel because we weren't staying in the main hotel. So we had to get, we had, so that was kind of a scramble to get to the hotel to do our podcasting or whatever. It took like probably an hour after because to get ready, like I broke the story outside really quick of the other hotel. And then just like we went back in and changed and got ready for the day. And then we spent the whole day there. That last day was crazy. Like we didn't go to bed till like 12. Like we basically stayed in the hotel like the whole day. Like it was really a wild time. Yeah, and you mentioned that you saw John Heyman every day. What yep. <laughs> was John Heyman like that last day? Were people kind of staying away from him? Did he seem different at all? Yeah. Like, like I, I can't yeah. imagine being John Heyman and then being the rest of the reporters, like, and how they interacted that last day. Yeah, there was a different vibe for sure. You could just feel it. Um, my friend was like, you got any news to break? He's like, no, I don't. And it was, like, really funny. And then he did kind of get his, he got, he did get some redemption with breaking Bogarts at the end though. So that was good to see for him. I mean, I guess he earned that one, but um, yeah, he kind of was a little more isolated. I would say I did notice that um, he was definitely kind of waking his wounds a little bit, I think, but he got back on his horse and recovered a little bit to the best he could, but he's always going to have that associated with him. I felt like this year the league took advantage of the fact that the biggest name in the sport, the guy who just hit 60 home runs was a free agent and it turned the winter in meetings into as big of a, I don't know, just as big of a story and a big of a headline and as big of an event that it's been in years. Did it feel like that? What actually there, did it feel bigger than maybe it's felt in the past? Well, that's actually interesting because the first time I went, I thought it was pretty big too. That was 2019 with Garrett Cole, but this time was different because I had a credential too, so it, just, it felt more official. Like it did feel bigger for sure. I'm gonna talk to Scott Boris and stuff, and Aaron Boone like made me feel like I was more in in, in into it. Last time I was kind of just like floating, like seeing what was gonna happen. Now I was like in it, like I was there, like covering the stuff, the passes and everything. So yeah, I would say so. I think Aaron Judge did make it that way, like you said. They really did a good job because it worked out perfectly. Their best, their best player, basically, besides maybe like Trout or something when he's on, but like the best player was the free agent from last season. And the, the player who had exciting. like the most headlines this past year, right? He yeah. was making headlines. I thought he put baseball in the spotlight twice because I thought he put baseball in the spotlight the first time 
in the, you know, this MLB season by hitting 60 home runs. I thought the MLB took a great, took great advantage of that by having an incredible postseason. And then he put them in the spotlight again. And MLB took advantage again by having Verlander sign a huge contract to Turner, a huge contract to Bogarts. It felt, and now obviously Correa a couple days ago, it felt really big. Yeah, and it was even bigger than 19 because we had three big contracts in 19. This year we have four, and you also had some other decent moves too. Like you had Kaylee Jansen. I mean, Josh, maybe not the waiting move there, but Josh Bell, like Cody Bellinger, and you had um you had the Japanese kids signing for 90 million dollars, and no one saw it coming. Uh, there was a lot of moves. Wilson Contreras too. Like that's a big move too. I feel like that got swept under the rug because all the other stuff that happened. But that was a significant move for the Cardinals replacing Molina. Like there was a lot of things that went down. Yeah, so I thought last year was a bit of an aberration that the quick signings, you know, the NBA free agency lasts about a week. And in that week, there's billions of dollars being thrown out across <laughs> yeah. like 10 players or 15 players, whatever it is. And it's all happening yeah. so quickly. And it's and done. La- yeah. yeah. And last year, Major League Baseball was kind of like that because everyone was trying to get the signings in before, you know, the lockout. The lockout. I thought that was an aberration. I was actually impressed and really enjoyed MLB free agency this year that it did happen in such a short amount of time. All these big names come up, came off Me the board too. for yes. so much money. Do you think this is what we're going to see going forward with major league baseball? You know, I can't say that definitively because it changes all the time. Like, I think I was impressed. I'm happy with it too, for the most part. Like most of the big free agents are gone now. And I think it should be a faster process. I hate the slow crawl of the offseason. The only reason I like it is because it gives you more to talk about and it's spaced out a little bit. So like you have like a wide range of offseason topics to discuss. I mean, not with that, I'm not happy with Rod Zone still on signs. I would have liked that resolves a while ago. I mean, that's the pressing thing if we'll probably get to that later. But um I think it's just um it's tough to gauge that, but I think the lockout last year was huge in helping that. It gave like a halfway point of free agency, basically. And then this year, the winter media kind of seems like a halfway point. And now we're kind of stalled a little bit again, although Correa signed and there's been a few other things. But now it's really um, it's a waiting game for the other guys at this point. I think you're going to see some stuff. Maybe before New Year's, you get all the big guys off the board. That'd be great. Or like before Christmas, like that'd be cool. And then like you could just focus on trades and doing some slight roster manipulation before spring training. So you mentioned most of the big names are off the board. Where do you think the Yankees go from here? They got their best player back, but that's not improving the team. They lost a couple starting pitchers. They lost Benintendi, Mm -hmm. at least for now. They're not as good a team as they were at the end of last season. Where do they go from here? It's got to be Rod Zone. Just get the damn thing done already. Like, that's the first move you got to make. It's He wants the Yankees. I mean, the Yankees have the top bid, I'm pretty sure. Minnesota's going to come in aggressive because they lost on Correa. Uh, the Padres could be a dark horse. You never know with them. Uh, I think those are the two teams I'd worry about. Everyone else seems to be way below where the Yankees are at with him. I think the Yankees are in a five-year range. They're looking for six to seven. So you know how Boris can be sometimes. It's not, it's a good old-fashioned stalemate. Now you got us talking about Nate Avaldi. I think that's all smoke. I think that's just to try to, like, draw some smoke off Rod Zone a little bit to lower the price. I don't think that's really legitimate. But I guess if they whip from Rod Zone, they could maybe sign Avaldi. But to me, it doesn't move the needle enough, really. That's basically just replacing Tyone. Like, I, I don't see much of a difference there. Uh, Rod Zone's a big difference. The offense worries me. I'm not going to lie. Um, I do like a full season of Harrison Bader in center field. Instead of Aaron Hicks, though, that's going to be very good. Um, ben and Tenney, I'm worried because um, that Yoshida contract, I think, kind of messed up his value for the Yankees. I could see him getting more than that now. I don't know if the Yankees want to go that route. Um, there's a lot of trade possibilities. We're talking about Max Kepler, some Diamondbacks outfielders. Um Reynolds, I think, is a pipe dream. A lot of people have talked about that. I just don't think the Yankees will 
give up what it takes to get him. Um, and then Conforto maybe on a buy low for a year could be might not be a bad idea. What do you think of uh, this? And I haven't seen this anywhere. But what do you got? It seems like San Diego has a lot of infielders, and Manny Machado has an opt out at the end of this year. It feels like the last year of a contract. I mean, can we move on a guy who's been a National League MVP finalist the last couple of years? I would love to get him. I don't think they would trade him, though, if that's what you're alluding to. I think, if anything, the Tatis stuff, I know, has gone crazy, but I think it's more likely they trade Tatis than Machado at this point. I mean, I love Manny. He's like a captain out there almost. Uh, I think they're going to try to lock him in. He's He is probably going to opt out, though. As someone was saying, he might be the only player in MLB history to get two 10-year contracts. Like, I can see that happening. Yeah, I mean, crazy. if he saw this free agency this past year, if he saw what happened, he would be smart to opt out. You know, pull an Aaron Judge, bet on himself this season, yeah. and opt out at the end of the year. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that 100%. I, I definitely think he is going to end up opting out. That's why there was some speculation about Tatis, maybe, because Juan Soto is going to want need a deal, too. Like, they probably can't keep everyone, so... We'll see how they manage that. You know, the Padres are all in. They had two big contract offers that got rejected from Judge and Turner. They were $40 million more than what they ended up signing for. I think they overpaid Bogarts drastically, honestly. But it in was years a desperation move to yeah. me. But I don't know if it was the best move because it kind of makes their infield a puzzle. Like it's and he's not a good defensive shortstop either. So I'm not I don't know if that was the smartest move. I mean, the lineup will be good, but we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, and with Tatis, like Tatis doesn't make sense moving him, in my opinion, because as from an AAV standpoint, you actually have him on a relatively cheap deal for what his value is, because on a yearly average annual salary, it's not that much. Um, anyway, okay, your yeah, your podcast is out in the field. That's where the people find you. Tell everyone else where they can find you. Okay, so out in the field's YouTube as well. My personal is Julian Gilardi one. Um, you can get my Instagram at Julian Gilardi eleven. Um, that's our Spotify information. It's the podcast, like you said, Apple, YouTube, and um, everything else. You can check Grump Baseball also for some content we do on YouTube out there. So, um, yeah, and listen to you on the fan with uh, Keith. Yes, so I have that out like there a, too. At least once a week at this point, right? <laughs> Yeah, we'll see if we can get those plays up. Uh, Fox Sports, um, I got on the radio for them, too, for New Jersey, so that was fun. But uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for doing this. All right, thanks to Julian. Thanks to Rob. Uh, thanks to everyone for listening. Like I said, it was going to be a loaded episode. It is. I have all the football talk, obviously the Jets talk, the Yankees stuff, the winter meetings, a lot going on in the world of sports. The Rangers are up 2-1 to one right now as we speak, and hopefully they can close out a win against Toronto. But Toronto has been controlling the puck the last few minutes and looks really good, looks like the better team. So hopefully somehow the Rangers can figure out a way to hold them off in this game. By the time you listen to this, you'll already know the answer to that question. Uh, but a really fun hockey game. Fun Thursday night football game as well as we speak. It is 7-3 Niners, but Seattle is driving with 4.47 to go in the second quarter. But like I said, that's going to do it for the episode, a really long episode. I hope you enjoyed. If you do, please let me know. I appreciate when people uh, reach out to me. I appreciate each and every one of the listeners. I really do. So until next time, please like, subscribe, follow us online, uh, share it with your friends, all those good things. It is greatly appreciated. Until next time, see ya. You were the best nights of my life. You got the light that always shines 
I miss the way that you move and the way I get high When you take me to your eyes Like I'm standing in the sky I see your subway cars and your old graffiti I breathe your air when I land in another city I'll be that one that's got you printed on my bones Yeah, you're all I know Everywhere I go, oh, oh, I ain't changed it oh, 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 Always on my road, I'm still New York You're the only oh, oh, oh that I'll ever know oh, oh, My concrete walls, I'm still New York Drive down Riverside See the birds flying on the high line With the sidewalks burning We pray for rain in July I want the Yankees 99 yeah. And the Knicks on a sold out night When the curtains close And the Broadway streets are alive hey. I need your heartbeat close Don't you ever leave me And I breathe your air When I land in another city And I'll be I'm still here. 